It's your Thursday daily delivery. I am Michael Rand. Glad to be with you for another day on the show and a good one. As usual, uh, today, Chip Scoggins from the Star Tribune will join me here in just a little bit. We're going to talk a little bit about his uh, the resumption of his fall feature football across Minnesota, FAM, if you like an acronym. Um, the first installment launched earlier this week. A fun story that Chip will explain here in just a minute. Um, and we'll continue throughout the fall. Also get into plenty of Vikings talk with Chip Vikings against the Eagles tonight. Big game, as they say, primetime. Vikings 0-1 after that surprising, I would say, loss Sunday to Tampa Bay. And we'll see where they can go from there. But Chip and I will get into plenty of that. An Aaron Rodgers note at the end of the show for all of you Aaron Rodgers lovers or haters. First, though, what did I miss? I think I'm going to cover a lot of ground in this first segment, cover a lot of teams that I intended to talk about under the blanket idea of tanking. Um, so tanking, losing intentionally, losing on purpose or losing, is setting out a season with the intention of maybe not winning with with trying to get a higher draft pick, with trying to rebuild through that means is this kind of kind of evil word almost but it's a it's a real dichotomy right where you you look at it and there's two undeniable truths about the idea of quote-unquote tanking number one players like it's hard to imagine getting any buy-in from the people who are actually on a team in an organization for going through a season like that for intentionally or creating at least some sort of intention around losing because these are all professionals these are all people trying to play for their own jobs these are all people who think at least at the beginning of a season hey anything is possible we might win no matter what the other side of the coin is that talent at the end of the day trumps pretty much everything that you can imagine in sports it is an undeniable truth that if you have the better players that are available because you finish worse in a season and you have a higher draft pick and you can get those players, those players ultimately a lot of times become the core of a team that is better in the future. So there's a temptation, at least I would think, to look at it and say, well, if we want to be better someday, it's going to require some short-term pain. Now, the kind of sweet spot is losing, but doing it in a way where it's not exactly intentional where you you go through a season you're playing some young players you're trying to get experience but you're not you're not trying to lose but you understand that you're probably not going to win and even that can be frustrating there might be a, a hard time getting players to buy into even that because nobody wants to lose but that is a lot of times how teams go this is a long way of saying i think we have a lot of teams in this market a that are stuck in a little bit of the middle and B, whether they want to admit it or not, have benefited from, if not outright tanking, have benefited in the past or currently from the idea of losing now to be better later. Let's let's run down this as we kind of think about some recent developments. The Lynx get absolutely demolished in Game 1 of the playoffs against Connecticut last night, 90-60. to 60 is the final. It was competitive for a little while, but not at the end, obviously. Lynx get one more try in Connecticut um, in a few days here to see if they can extend that series, bring it back to Target Center for a decisive Game 3. 
Maybe they will. It's been a resilient team this year, which brings me to this point of tanking. A lot of us thought maybe they were tanking or not not upset with the idea of losing. They started the year 0-6. It seemed like they had some maybe some holes on the roster. Instead, they come back. They finish 19-21, and which is not great, but it means they went 19-15 and in their final 34 games. They were a good team for most of this season and got themselves into the playoffs. You know, this is not a great WNBA league. It's pretty top heavy and eight of the 12 teams do make the postseason, but they're the sixth seed. I mean, they were in the upper half of the league. If you want to measure it that way, they earned their way in. Um, but there's still probably this gnawing feeling of would they have been better off getting themselves, try to be in the lottery to get some of those really good players, the Caitlin Clarks of the world, uh, who are probably going to be in the 2024 WNBA draft. It's a hard thing to reconcile because obviously they're good enough to win, to get into the playoffs right now, to be a team that at least has a chance. When you get in, you theoretically have a chance, even if you look at it on paper in the matchup against Connecticut, they are pretty heavy underdogs. Now, if you look at the Lynx past, they have absolutely benefited from being bad in order to be good. Simone Augustus was a number one overall pick way back in the mid-2000s. Um, they still weren't great with her for several years until they got Maya Moore when they landed in the lottery. They weren't terrible the year before they got Maya Moore, but they got some lottery luck, got the number one pick, drafted Maya Moore. Next thing you know, they've got four WA, four WNBA championships in seven years. And since Maya Moore's departure, I believe they've won one playoff game. A fact that our star columnist Patrick Royce, favorite of this show, loves to point out. So, Talent is a key indicator of success, and talent is often obtained with the highest draft picks. It's just a fact. Look at the Timberwolves. Timberwolves were terrible for a long time. You could you could argue that the only reason they're not is Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards, both number one overall picks in 2015 and 2020, respectively. Right there, those are Timberwolves teams that were somewhere between tanking and bad and wound up with the number one overall picks in those drafts. And now they are a team that has made the postseason a couple times in a row and feels like it has an ascending arc. Think about the Twins. Just went to um, went over to Target Field for the first time in a, in a couple months the other day. Uh, yesterday, saw most of that game, watched Royce Lewis, got a good look at him. Um, number one overall pick. Right, That was the year that uh, coming off of 2016 where they were awful. We thought they were going to be better, but they were awful. Probably their best, most talented player in quite some time, their most charismatic leader in decades, I would argue, although that's maybe a jury that's out for a little while. Uh, probably their most talented player with the most upside since who? Since Byron Buxton, who was their last really high draft pick in 2012. So talent is a key indicator of success now let's talk about the vikings as we kind of close the loop on the idea of whether you should whether going through the pain of losing is worth it i know that the flip side of this is sometimes you lose and you can't get out of that cycle the wolves did that for a while in the late you know late 2000s early 2010s where they you know where they were losing but they weren't getting the right draft picks and the, the cycle just perpetuated itself sometimes there is a danger in you know in thinking that there is some sort of magic solution in the draft the Vikings seem like a team, again, very much stuck in the middle like a lot of these other franchises where they are good enough to make the playoffs but not good enough to do anything else. Last year were 13-4, and 
played more like a nine and eight or ten and seven team though if we're just looking at the raw numbers maybe even worse by some metrics um if we look at the raw numbers we look at how much they benefited from winning close games um and then you look at it this year they started zero and one they're staring down the barrel of zero and two which again chip and i will talk about in just a minute they know in their heart of hearts that in order to get the kind of franchise quarterback that often elevates a team on that cheap rookie contract you almost certainly need to have a very high draft pick, something they have not had for quite some time. They haven't had a top five pick, I don't think, since 2012, I want to say, since after the 3-13 and season with Christian Ponder and Donovan McNabb, where they drafted Matt Khalil number four overall. Um, so they haven't really had that pick for quite some time. So in order to draft a franchise quarterback, which they haven't really been able to do, they, they took a swing at Teddy Bridgewater in 2014. And, you know, he was good, but I don't think he was going to be a franchise quarterback, even if he wasn't hurt. Christian Ponder in 2011, you know, he was the you know a number 12 pick, I believe. Again, not a franchise type quarterback. You can get a guy like that maybe at those picks, but usually it's the guys like Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence, the number one overall picks that become your franchise quarterback. So all of this is a way of saying it is a hard thing to reconcile whether you should be okay with losing. But being stuck in the middle sometimes, maybe the term competitive rebuild lands you there almost by default. Being stuck in the middle is a hard place to be. I'll be watching to see tonight Vikings against the Eagles. Can they can they show me something that makes me think they're anything more than a team with a ceiling of 9 or 10 wins this year. And if not, I could see this being a team with the floor of 5 or 6 wins and I'm not I'm not kidding about that. I think this is a team that could could fall pretty fast based on kind of some of the the advanced metrics and things like that. And in that case, would they be better off being even worse this year in order to someday be better? It's a hard thing to balance. It's hard to be patient. It's hard to say we're okay with losing from a competitive standpoint, from a franchise standpoint. But I do wonder if some of these local teams might be better off at some point having a real true down year versus the years that they have been having. Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan. The passion. The hope. The anticipation. That incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino. Let your story begin. Chip Scoggins is with me here on Daily Delivery, Star Tribune columnist. Chip, your uh, your excellent and popular football across Minnesota column is back for another season. I'm happy to see that. That was online. Went online earlier this week and in print as well. Um, congrats on so season three of that. Am I mistaken? Yeah, yeah. Good for you. Season three already. Yeah. Yeah, it's a fun um it was a fun project to do and to get off the ground and it gives us a chance to maybe dig out some stories and tell some stories that we wouldn't otherwise um, yeah. or might be overlooked. So I try to find stuff that's not Vikings <laughs> or yes. Gophers related as right. best I can. Sometimes there, there will be, but um, I'm just reminded every time I do this, like there's so many good stories in this state. Yes. Yes. Um, you know, whether it's just football or whatever. Um, in my first one, I was, <laughs> it was a fun one to do. Um, I wrote about the offensive coordinator for 
University of Northwestern St. Paul, which is yes. I think technically in Roseville, maybe it's St. Yes. Paul, right there. I think the it's Rose. Yeah, it's up there. It's a, it's yeah. a little suburban. Um, yeah. Named Boomer Repke. Okay. And Boomer, uh, Boomer was a college swimmer. He went to, he was an All-American swimmer. Uh, grew up in part of his life in California, uh, high school in Reno, Nevada. Um, grew up a huge USC Trojans football fan and uh, went to his first game when he was six weeks old. His mom was a PhD PhD student at, at oh, wow. USC. Um, okay. Dad yeah. loved USC. So I uh, didn't miss a game for 25 years. And uh, his dream was to play there. And he was an all-state punter, but in a pretty good defensive back. But he was 5'8", 160 pounds. So yeah. probably not going to get um, recruited by Pete Carroll uh, during their dynasty years um, no. at that size. So he... Uh, he actually was a really good swimmer, got recruited by Notre Dame and, and USC. And he went to USC as a swimmer. Swam there two years, was good enough to swim in the – back when it was the Pac-10, the Pac-10 championships qualified as, as times were fast enough. Um, that doesn't even sound like classic swimming size to me, if I'm not mistaken. Like no, that. yeah. He, he doesn't he doesn't have the, you know, the tall, broad shoulders right. that you normally see with these guys. Um, but he's he, – and he worked in the football office those first couple of years just helping out whatever they wanted. But he just – he had this dream of, of playing football for uh, for USC and and Red Ellison, our friend Red Ellison. Yes. You remember Red Ellison from yeah. the Vikings, the, the tight end that they had drafted in 2012. He was his sweet mate as a freshman at, okay. um, and he told him he wanted to try out for a team. And Red said, "Yeah, go for it." So he he walked on, didn't make it, but then Pete Carroll gave him a chance, and he became like this beloved walk on. He was on a walk on for three years. It took until his third year, his senior year, to actually he didn't he never got to travel to games, just dressed in uniform for home games, never played the first two years. And then Lane Kiffin took him to a game, uh, allowed him to travel with the team to a road game at Cal. They were winning big. They put him in on kickoff coverage and he uh Lane Kiffin, they won the game big, and Lane Kiffin said, Boomer's coming with us everywhere we go now. So <laughs> he he played the rest of the uh year on on special teams and then just fell on Want to become a coach that made such an impact on what um, Pete Carroll and Lane Kiffin did for him. So he got into coaching and he has this VW camper van that has 430,000 miles on it. And Jeez. he uh, he went to 74 different colleges, Division three to Division one, to work camps and watch spring practices and meet with coaches. And that led him to get a, a graduate assistant job at Ohio at Iowa state, which he did for three years. And, um, and then pandemic hit and, and uh, a connection helped him get this job here, but just a, you know, a cool, a cool guy um, with a, just a remarkable story that you go to college to be a swimmer and you wind up being a, a college football coach. That's amazing. Yeah, that. a, yeah. I loved it. It was, yeah, it's, it's, it's again, a good example of the kinds of stories that, we always love to do, but I, what I love about this series is that it, you know, it, it puts you in the framework where you you're kind of dedicated to telling exactly that kind of story. And so you seek them out. And like you've said, I think in the past, it's kind of like 50, 50, right? Like some of these, you know, about, or you, you kind of kind of hear through the grapevine, but some of them are like people just kind of like cold call or cold email you. Yes. And like, Hey, this is a really cool story idea. Like you should pursue this. Cause I know what you do. And I think you do this kind of story really well. Yeah, this was actually, it was uh, somebody had sent it to our 
wonderful colleague, Pat Royce. And Royce sent to me knowing that fam was coming back. And I, but I just, they sort of gave me a synopsis of it. And I said, yeah, that's a fam item right there. But yeah, I mean, it, it is. I mean, a lot of these I know about, but you know, like I did this one last year. Um, uh, somebody had told me that, you know, farmers and, and oh, yeah. the fall, fall harvest, they can't go to games, go for games or, or Vikings games on a weekend because they're working, they're doing their harvesting, their corn and beans. And, and, um, but they listen to the games on the radio when they're out in the fields. And I'm like, that is a fam item if there ever is a fam item. So I went and uh, a guy who's become a good friend of mine, uh, Darren Johnson, uh, allowed me to ride in the, his uh, combine and listen to a gopher game last year. And so those are kind of the things that um, I just think, you know, when I say there's a million stories out there, there really is. And and hopefully we can uncover uh, a number of those and and put them in fam on a weekly basis. And and then we have other stuff, you know, game balls and kind of highlights yeah, from yeah, the weekend yeah. for prep to pros. And that that's always fun to, you know, maybe highlight some really special uh, performances over the weekend. That's a good reminder. Um, we should let's put a plug in. Like how, what's the best way to get in touch with you? If people have an idea if they're obviously they read these and can get you get in touch with you that way. But if they're listening right now and they're like, Oh, this sounds like a cool series. Like what, how would they get in touch with you? Yeah. Email at chip.scoggins at startribution.com. That's chip.scoggins um, or Twitter. Um, chip it's, Scoggins it's is X my... now chip. It's X or X. Yeah. <laughs> you can find me on X. Yeah. Uh, um, it, that way too. And uh, that's a good way. And yeah, I always, um, you know, I love when people pitch stories and said, this might be a good one. And that happens a lot. I mean, it's, I mean, obviously we can't know everything. I, I didn't know about Boomer until sure. someone sent that. And then uh, I fell in love with Boomer's story and it was fun yeah. to uh, spend an hour and a half with him last Friday, having lunch and just a really cool guy with a cool story. I always feel bad because I think we've talked about fam a number of times on this podcast and then we get done with that. And then I'm like, okay, on to the Vikings. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Because yeah. you know, but those are also the stories that have to be told. And yep. let's face it, um, this season did not start out the way that they wanted to. And I think Patrick Royce and I on Monday particularly kind of articulated everything that went wrong basically from Thursday night through Sunday night. It was like boom, like Lions win right away at, at you know, at Kansas City. They maybe catch Kansas City on a you know the Super Bowl hangover and no Travis Kelsey, no, you know, no Jones. And then, then all of a sudden that's a win that you would expect the Lions maybe to take a loss in and the Vikings don't get a Jefferson extension done. And I want to ask you about that because you wrote about that over the weekend. They lose to Tampa Bay. Green Bay looks good. The team the Vikings <laughs> lost to in the playoffs last year gets smoked 40 to nothing in the opener. What is going on here, Chip? <laughs> that's, that's, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting that we were in the press box Sunday after the game and you know, writing about this mess of a season opener and uh, Jim Suhan, our colleague was sitting next to me and he has, he had a little uh, iPad there with the Packers game on us. And I said, Oh, how's Jordan love doing? He's like, terrific. I'm like, of course he is. Of course he is. (laughs) When it rains, it pours here. So Um, yeah, it was Mike, that was when you go down the schedule, I would be one to bet. Not many people put an L behind beside that one. I mean, that's one you, you just felt like they were going to win and they need to win when you look at the schedule and um, having it at home and and just the way it happened and, and just the sloppiness and the mistakes and um, 
even when they're as poorly as they're playing in that first half and the mistakes and the turnovers and all that, I never felt like they were going to lose that game. I always felt like because we, because of what happened last year that they right. were, you know, so good in those situations. And then when Baker Mayfield completes that, that throw on third and 10, I think it was, which was a great catch by Godwin. Yes. Yes. It's just like, man, they're going to lose this game. <laughs> this is, you know, yeah. They, they let this team hang around. Yeah. And you let Baker Mayfield get a little confidence. And then, and I liked what Tampa did to go with a quick passing game because they just look completely just, you know, all over the place early on. But yeah. it just, it was just a, uh, it was a thud, an absolute thud to start the season. I mean, just that, I mean, there were no, to me, I know they had some moments where they moved the ball offensively, but, um, and the defense looked good early, but to not win that game, um, knowing what they have coming up, uh, I would say the concern is pretty high. I would too. I mean, and um, to underscore your point about the kind of that game on the schedule, I remember I, I pulled this up just now because I remembered seeing it. Phil Hughes, the former Twins pitcher, said, out of my survivor pool in week one, I will forever hold a grudge against the Minnesota Vikings. So yeah, it might have know. been a lot of people took that in the survivor pool. I mean, pool. It, you know, and maybe we were underrating Tampa Bay a little bit because everyone's like, well, they were Baker only Mayfield. they were they won the division last year, but they won eight games. Brady retired. How good can they be? I mean, maybe we'll find out Tampa Bay was a little bit better, but Baker Mayfield's their quarterback. I mean, come on. Yeah. That's I do like their defense. I mean, they got some yeah. good defenders. Yeah. I mean, their defense is legit. Um, they got some playmakers there. But even like they had one first down the first six possessions. Happened. Yeah, I mean Baker could not have looked worse. I mean he could not look more discombobulated going against trying to figure out Brian Flores. I mean it was unfolding defensively like what we'd all talked about is pressures and confusing them. That's exactly um, what was happening. But you know the Ed Ingram knocking it out of oh, Cousins' hand and and the Cousins throw and I you know I didn't see it. Live, and I'm glad you wrote your post earlier this week about Cousins' um, I guess meltdown on the sideline. Yeah, with the quarterback right coach, before yeah. halftime. Yeah, that was we've seen uh, Volter Kirk before. Yes, that might that might be the most intense I think I've seen. He looked angry and f- like really just really frustrated. Like like he and I, you know, I hesitate to speculate like what the root of it is. And we talked a little bit about it on Access Vikings on Tuesday, and we know Ben. Gasling kind of speculated that maybe it was just, you know, it was frustration and it was kind of this, you know, this moment of like, you know, just how the play unfolded and things like that. And I, and I, I made the point, I think on the, on the blog post. And then again with Ben, like I, in, and I think Ben said this too, like if, if there's any tension, I feel like that still exists in year two now with cousins in this system, it's this kind of push pull of when you take chances and when you don't. And it, it just felt like he was like, this is exactly the kind of throw you want me to make, and look what happened. Yeah, well, that's yeah. It almost felt. I mean, it, yeah, you're right. It's dangerous to read in the, without knowing what what they yes, were talking about. Yes. But it was. It, you wonder if it was like, see, that's the play. That play was not. You know, should, that was not the time to be aggressive right there. And, and right. he he talked about after the game that he threw a little bit behind Osborne because he didn't want to throw him into the the safety yeah. who was there. And, and I understand that completely. Um, and there's people that say, you know, Osborne got his hands on it. You can't get it ripped out of your hands, too. So, um, but I think Cousins was saying, I think she had just checked it down to Addison. You know, yeah. I think that's, I think it was Addison that was yes. the one. Um, but yeah, it was, it was interesting. Um, I think it was a lot of frustration coming out <laughs> in that moment with, you know, the, 
the whole first half of the turnover. So, but to me, though, Mike, the thing because they're going to clean up some of the procedural stuff and the yeah. you know that'll get cleaned up. I don't know how you clean up your interior offensive line. No, without especially making changes. If, I mean. Bradbury wasn't great, but he was your starter for a reason. I don't think he's playing Thursday. And so you missed what five games with the back injury last year, yeah. or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, and Ed Ingram, I just, I mean, the whole idea of starting him 17 games last year was hoping you're going to get a big payoff and he's going to come back and be better for it. And, and maybe he will, but there was nothing about that first opening game that felt like he made this gigantic leap based on being able to start those games. So I, that I just I I don't know how you're going to continue to roll with those three guys. No, I don't know either. Unless <laughs> I mean, they were they put a lot of faith in the continuity of those guys, and you know, a year another year together, another year of progression for Ingram in particular. Since last year he was a rookie, I just don't see it yet. They've they've had you know they've had some time. They've had. It it doesn't feel like that's going to be good. And then, you know, that leads directly into Philadelphia. Let's get into that and Justin Jefferson. Um yeah. and oh I want to, one more one point I haven't made yet on this on the Tampa Bay game before we move past two. There's an underrated moment that I, that I forgot to that I forgot to bring up um in any previous shows, but they it was 10-3 late in the first half, and the Vikings had a third and seven at their own 17. I just pulled up the play by play. They threw Cousins to Osborne looked like it was a first down, but Osborne kind of had to come back for it and kind of like dove kind of back towards the line of scrimmage to catch it. And he wasn't deep enough on his route ends up being like half a yard short. They have to punt there. And Kevin, Kevin O'Connell looked completely disgusted about, I don't know if it was with the route or the decision on that play, but Tampa Bay scores a touchdown on the next play gets it to 10, 10. And obviously it's the interception with Osborne right after that, the, the momentum really shifted late yeah. in the first half of that game. And I felt like that was the start of it when they didn't even pick up a first down when they're up 10, three and they've got the ball late in the second, late in the first. Was half. that the one where O'Connell walked down the line to see, and then you yes. saw that. Yeah. Yes. I remember and the he, reaction. And he like turned around. He's like, God, are you kidding me? Like, I think yeah, they had the like, play they wanted. I just don't know if he got deep enough in his route. Yeah. And, um, I believe that was, if I remember correctly, that was that pretty deep in their not deep in their territory, but yeah, well, um, they, oh, they were at their own seven. I, they were at they were at their own seventeen when it started. That's so. right, because then the, we there there were some boos because they didn't go for it. And yeah, but they, Mark, they keep, I mean, Mark, well, that's what that, Mark Craig and I were watching. It's like, are you kidding? It's like they haven't gotten the first down yet. Yeah, or at, only at that had point, one. Tampa like, Bay had done nothing, and then they go and score a yeah, touchdown right after that. Yeah, you, you don't give them the momentum. So it's like, if you watch Baker Mayfield, so yeah. Um, well, that's that's the thing about the offense. Um, there were moments like. Got to Jefferson, you, the times you threw it to him, it's like, okay, they're starting to click now. But then they would do something, a screen pass that would lose four yards yeah. or, or a penalty and um, or a turnover. And so it was like, it was just so disjointed. Like the mix of, you know, good plays. And you felt like, okay, now they got some rhythm. They're getting Jefferson going. This thing's going to start rolling. And, and they just imploded. They just kept shooting themselves in the foot. So I could yeah. see where... I, I understand. I mean, everybody should be frustrated with that because um, you have to credit Tampa because I think their defense is pretty good. Yeah. But it, a lot of it felt self-inflicted too. Jefferson extension, you wrote about that, doesn't get done. The indications, the reports in like, you know, the three or four days leading up to Sunday was 
hey, this is looking like it's going to get done. It's just you know maybe a matter of getting it to the finish line. When it doesn't happen, like you said, you wrote about it off the game. What what impression did that make on you? Yeah, I just it's been you know they talked about it before camp or even going back to the spring that they're talking having dialogue with his people. You know, so many times we've seen this in the past, and and, and there's not a, a sense of you know major urgency in no. that he has two years left, so it's not like okay. But when you're talking about it, and then I'm telling you, all these reports didn't just come out of thin air, right? People weren't just yes. saying it's, there's momentum that's going to happen, or there's a good chance, or they're optimistic. They didn't just somebody didn't just wake up and make that up. So it came from somewhere. Um, so there was just sense that it was going to get done, and then when it doesn't, and then Schefter reports they're going to table it till the off season. I just felt like it, it created the awkwardness. Like, well, what happened? Like, yes, everybody was optimistic this was going to get done, and everything seemed to seem like it was going in that direction. And then all of a sudden it doesn't like what happened. And Jefferson's handled like a pro, you know, yes, everything yes, he course. says and does um, hasn't made it an issue. Hasn't pouted. Hasn't, you know, not practiced or anything like that. So right. he hasn't made an issue. Um, and he was great. On, is, and he was great on Sunday still. He, mean, was, he was. Yeah. I mean, uh, most of it, almost all of it in the first half, yes. but, um, but, it's not going to be any cheaper after the season, right? I don't think I mean, so. It's, no, it's all, it's only going to, um, the price tag is only going to go up and, and you don't, yes, again, he has two years left. So it's not like you have to get it done before the season. But, um, when you're talking about a player of his stature, who is by far, there's not even a close second, no your best and most, best and most yes. popular player. Um, you don't want to run the risk of dragging things out and, you know, making it um, keep, you know, we'll get to it later. We'll get to it later. Well, um, you know, he's too important to not uh, get to to get it done. And one, it's going to be historic, right? (laughs) The deal is going to be, it's going to be massive. So um, you're just going to have to pay it because whatever, you know, now, as long as they're not being completely unrealistic on his side, which I, you know, but, um, you're going to have to pay him because he's just worth um, so much to your organization on the field and off the field. I did wonder if the Bosa contract, even though it's obviously a different position, if that moved the line a little bit, because all of a sudden you went from biggest non-quarterback contract, average value being Aaron Donald, a little over 31, and then Bosa gets 34, and it's like, okay, if if Justin Jefferson wants to be the highest paid non-quarterback, that just got more expensive by $3 million a year overnight. That's if you're uh, connecting dots. I mean, that happened last week around the same time that everybody was expecting that there were reports that the Jefferson thing looks positive and momentum and all this. So I don't, it's probably not unrealistic to, or unreasonable to think that had a factor in it, but um, you know how you avoid again, that chip? You get it done in July when you start well, talking about it. I, I mean, I've covered this team long enough that it's almost, it almost felt like an annual thing. We'd show up to training camp in Mankato and there'd be somebody that signed a contract, right? Uh, now this one obviously is probably um, more complicated than all of those. Not probably because it's you're going to have to pay him, you know. Yes, uh, a, a historic deal. I understand that, but um, but it, you know, I'll go back to Jefferson hasn't. There's been no indications that this is going to be disruptive to him at all. I mean, no. I, I, don't, I don't. He's going to be who he is, and not. He hasn't said one thing that made you think it's. Um, distracting him or anything like that. No. So, yeah. um, but I just found it curious. 
Yeah, I think I'm in the same boat. I don't think it's going to be a distraction. I don't think it's a problem. It's just weird. And it it's another kind of little check mark in uh, the kind of like mental notebook I'm keeping of, is Quasi Adolfo Mensa good at his job? And I don't know if mm-hmm. he is. I don't know if he is. Yeah, I mean, you know, he had, um, I will say this, by pushing it off till after this offseason, you're going to do it next offseason because you're not going to, you know, He's got to solve that, and you got to solve quarterback. So yeah, you do. <laughs> it is, uh, yeah. It's a big uh, – he's pushed a lot of those questions to March and April. That's... And uh, Daniil and yeah. all these other – you know, Davenport, you're going to have to make it – even though he sat out, you're going to have to decide, is that going to be a one-year thing with him? There's I Yeah. Quasey had a lot of um, big items to deal with this offseason, and it's going to be even more so next year. And, next it, become, and it becomes – a lot of it is dependent on how they do this year. And when you start 0-1-1, let's finish here. Staring at 0-2, I mean, maybe it's, you know, they're not, they're like a touchdown underdog in Philadelphia Thursday night. The Eagles have all the ingredients of a team that Minnesota doesn't want to face right now. Their defensive front, I heard Wes Phillips, um, who's I was in a session with him on Tuesday, basically said, you know, if not the best, then certainly one of the best defensive fronts in all of football. Um going against that interior line, which was already a little suspect and, you know, banged up now. And we don't know exactly how healthy Derisaw is going to be. You've got the dual threat of Jalen Hurts. You've got the good wide receivers. Like this is a night. It was a nightmare of a matchup. Even if you feel good about yourself at one and zero, and even if you're fully healthy in this point, it's even harder on a short week. Yeah. That's yeah. The, the, the Eagles defensive line on a short week against a banged up, uh, Vikings offensive line. Um, I, I don't know how you scheme what they're going to do to scheme around that. You know, there's only so much you can do. So that's to me, that is the ball game right there. Can they at least hold up enough to where Cousins isn't running for his life and hitting the ground a lot, and he, he can able he can spread the ball around to Jefferson and Addison. So to me, that's you know that matchup right there. We'll see what O'Connell has up his sleeve to kind of try to counter that pass rush. Yeah. It doesn't, doesn't feel like the, (laughs) none of it feels good. And I mean, if they're, they're Owen two, then you start peaking out depending on how the game goes. I mean, if they, if it's Owen two, but they play better and you start to say, okay, well, you know, now there's some potentially winnable games on the schedule, but if they get run then you're looking at, well, where's, where are the wins in the first half of the season? Because, you know, if Green Bay is okay, and, you know, they played the Bears, and the Bears are probably lousy, so maybe we need to know about more about Green Bay. But, you know, they play at Green Bay later on in, you know, October. They've got the Chiefs. They've got yeah. uh, yeah, Herbert, you know, coming, up. Herbert coming up. They've got, yeah. they've got San Francisco coming in here. I mean, they, they play a lot of tough teams in the first half. Like, I'm having a hard time getting them to 4-4 four and four now at the midpoint just because that was a bankable win that they don't, that now is in the loss column. Well, that's that's why I mean, that's what one loss like that does. To yes, you. it does. You start looking around, you're like, just the, the, I mean, part of it's because it's the first game. You're going to have whether yeah. you win or lose, you're going to open. But the way it went, and then also when you look at the quarterbacks and the teams that they had coming up in the first half, you're like, they could not afford to give away games that you felt like they were, they should win. And so, <laughs> that I think that's where. Uh, fans are probably rightfully looking at this like, oh boy, <laughs> you know this is yeah. this is uh, that's not the start that uh, anyone envisioned. 
it would be very Vikings, of course, for them to go into Philadelphia and win. And then, yeah, and then of we're, yeah. you know, we're back here a week later. Saying, okay. One and one all, all as well. You know, they, we probably expected them to be one and one at this point and, and everything's yeah. going to be okay. So who knows? That's why they play the games as they say, but don't feel great about it and starting to waver a little bit on where this team's headed long-term, but you know, they, there's still a lot of season left, a lot of season left, not time to, not time to necessarily panic entirely, but uh, this, this is a, this is a, this is a interesting time to be in the building. I would think for the Vikings. Yes. Yes. Um, I'm sure there's some angry players because it's one thing to lose when a team just outplays you. Yeah. But when you, when you lose the way they, they lost with the self-inflicted and the penalties and lining up in the neutral zone and let, I mean, those kind of things, it's hard enough to win, but when you make those kind of mistakes, it, um, there should be some frustration in there yeah. because that's just, you can't lose games that way. See if the quarterback yells at the uh, quarterback's coach (laughs) on uh, prime time this time. We'll see. I don't know. Sometimes angry Kirk's a good Kirk, but uh, I don't know. Thursday is going to be fun. I I, got to watch it. You got to, you got to see what's going to happen. And Chips Goggins appreciate it as always. Keep writing the great stuff and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks brother. Good stuff from Chip. As always, a couple side notes on the Vikings game tonight. Remember, that's an Amazon Prime game, Prime Video. Um, simulcast locally on Fox 9, so you don't have to worry about um, being able to watch it if you don't have Prime Video. But I'll be paying attention to kind of how that how that broadcast looks. I haven't really paid much attention to the Thursday night games on Prime just because it hasn't really been part of my regular viewing rotation, at least not from a close watching standpoint so i'll be paying attention to that tonight i have a prediction that jordan addison sees more of the field tonight he was awfully good i think in you know not limited but let you know third receiver type splits and snap counts in the opener i think Wes phillips when he was talking about uh talking about jordan addison the other day had some pretty you know steady praise for him so i'm, I'm looking for a bigger role tonight from Jordan Addison, especially as they try to make maybe some explosive plays, catch Philadelphia off guard, get some quick scores instead of having to rely on long drives, especially with this offensive line banged up, no Garrett Bradbury tonight, um, and see if they can get some points on the board and maybe get out of Philadelphia with a win. Let's finish with the cooler and keep it with the NFL. Aaron Rodgers saying on Instagram that he expect him to be back. The direct quote on Instagram, the night is darkest before the dawn and I shall rise yet again. Um, doesn't surprise me that he wants a little bit of attention right now. This is maybe going to be the hardest part for him, aside from not getting to play this year, is not having a whole lot of attention as he recoups from this Achilles injury. But if there was question about whether this Achilles injury might mean the end, the end for him being almost 40, having a tough injury to come back from. He is uh, at least suggesting here that this will not be his final season, that he will not go out this way, that he will indeed come back next season and try this again. So know that about him, that he is still under contract for 2024, and maybe, just maybe, he will be back to rise yet again. That will do it for me today. I'll be back to rise again as well tomorrow. Um, Friday show, expecting to have Phil Miller 
Twins beat writer from the Star Tribune on with me to talk all things Twins as they essentially gear up to try to finish off this division and head into the postseason in just a few weeks. I'll have some observations I had and plenty from Phil as well. Thanks for joining me on today's show. I'm Michael Rand, back again tomorrow.